Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves the experience of cracking them open or you love the convenience of no-shell pistachios like myself, Wonderful Pistachios is the perfect healthy snack for when hunger strikes. And there are a bunch of tasty flavors to choose from too, like honey roasted, smoky barbecue, jalapeno lime, and more. Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. You obviously saw the Bubba show. Yeah. And uh, this whole debate, are you guys athletes or not? Yep. When I heard that y'all y'all wanted me to come on, I was like, well, we got to go around the racetrack first. We got That's the first thing we got to do. But I thought it'd be great to go out there. This is a really, really good car. And you guys can feel the G's and feel the grip and feel the, you know, hear the sounds, the smells and all the things. And just at least walk away with a good experience. Mm -hmm. All right, well, I'm going to go first because you told me earlier that that's when you warm up the car and then we're not, we're not going to yeah. hit 180 today. Each run, I should get a little quicker. All right, bet. I'm, I'm, going, first. <laughs> I'm going first. I get a little braver. Each run. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you got to climb in? <laughs> now nah, open the door. Oh. Yeah. And then sit on the door and then throw the next leg in and just slide down in there like Perfect. you like an put athlete. your foot in the shoe. He's so nervous. He's scared. He's scared for real. I'm scared for real. Push through. Push Get in through. there, man. There you go. There you go. There you go. Do it oh, there. Hell no. Oh! <laughs> I can't do it. Get I can't do it. Get in the car. Close it. Ah! What's wrong? Uh, Where you going? I ain't going. I ain't going. Oh. oh, oh. All right, give me. Get, hold on, Dale. I'm sorry. I'm embarrassed right now. Brandon, it's going to be all right. You want some water? Huh? You want water? Hold on. Give me 10 seconds. No. No. Water? <laughs> Don't pass it. Don't pacify him. Two laps, Dale, okay? All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fun till the rabbit got the gun. You are a grown man. Shut your ass up. insane i get it i get it now all right let me out <laughs> i get it now ah, how you feeling b it's like the snake when we had tarzan on and i overcame that fear i feel good about it just tackle it thanks dale the leg shaky no no I, I was once i got in i was good i used my little exercises oh fred's next yeah freddie you up right that sounds good <clears throat> left foot in yep here? I can help you. Hey, help. Dale, how fast did we hit? One, uh, 160, maybe? 160? I'm sure. All right. For real? Yeah, he was taking it easy on me. Turn up the bass now, go. I need the horse to hear my flow. My flow. Bitch, act like you know. One, two, three, we 
I don't need a helmet. I don't need a helmet. Look at my head. <laughs> Let's go, Gail. No helmet. Is it bad? No, I didn't feel it till the second lap. Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh, see, scary. <laughs> One more lap with the windows down. Let's go. <laughs> Please. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yo, that was beautiful. Oh, my shoes. <laughs> on the on the on the back end, I tell her you got you got to you got to chill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it burned my. Uh, he didn't want to mess up his, his forces. He had the crispy forces on. See, Dale, that's a black thing, if, if you don't know that, right? Like, you get brand new shoes, you don't want to crease yeah. the top. You, you familiar yeah, yeah, with it? Yeah. They still clean, though. <laughs> this is something that I can't say that you're an athlete. When I see that on ESPN, which is a sports avenue, I'm like, ugh, I don't know if that's a sport. Dale. 2016 Martinsville. Get back in that mode with Chan, okay? Yeah. Give it to him. Let's get it there. We're men in here now. That's right. <laughs> getting the real Dale Jr. That's what he's getting right now. Power there, boy. Goodness gracious. Hey, are they are they athletes now? They're hellified drivers. <laughs> boy, boy, boy. You right. That corner right there? Yeah. Your head, you lose your head, right? I be leaning. I be leaning. I was leaning over there by Dale. Man. <laughs> like, you too close to this wall, buddy. You know, we go so fast. I couldn't even tell when we were passing you guys. Right. Yeah. That's I don't know about the athletic. Almost ain't it's impressive. You almost athletic. Oh, almost. almost athletic. <laughs> yeah. here at Charlotte Motor Speedway and um, we got in the car. We have Bubba on and this fool said that you guys aren't athletes. I feel like you owe Dell no. and every driver <laughs> and all of NASCAR an apology because what I experienced today was real. Yes, I will say it is a 
hard skill set. Sure. That's what I would say. The athletic part, the physical, you know, pulling it out of you. I can't go all the way to athlete there, but I will say to drive that car as fast as you do into those turns and around this track was amazing to be a part of. So I would I would take the I would take the respect level up a couple notches. I I didn't think that I was going to change your mind with what we did today, but I don't know that we're like full-fledged athletes like you see in in college NFL baseball like a stick and ball sport athlete is. We definitely don't use our bodies the same way. But I also look at the NFL and there's guys that are more athletic, physically gifted, right? Than than some guys. And I kind of see it that way because there's some guys in our sport that take their health really seriously, run triathlons and marathons and, and do things that really probably are unnecessary, but they're just competitive. And then there's some guys that don't take their health serious at all. So it is hard when you see those guys get out with the big bellies and stuff and say, yeah, we're athletes, man. Look at all, look at all of us. Because some of us don't look like athletes. But by definition, because these guys like to be black and white a lot of the time, mm-hmm. right? So by definition, you're an athlete. We you. You went and you defined it, right? You looked it up. That's right. Yes. And you're proficient at your physical activity, yeah. which is racing. So you are, by definition, an athlete. Now we have to question whether you're athletic. Sure. There's, there's a difference. There's and a I difference. think that's what Channing should have said when, in the Bubba episode. Well, you can question that like golfers. They question all the time, are golfers athletic? Yeah. I know some that are. They're very athletic. But also, right. I know that they're athletes. So... You guys are athlete, in my opinion, athletic. I, I don't know. I have to see you do something. I think that's a great way. I think that's a great way to put it. If someone is athletic, there's a, a specific skill that they're really good at. Yeah. There's a specific multiple. skill. I think it's multiple skills. Well, there, there are multiple skills you have to be good at to be going 190 and all left, like you say. Wow. You know, you, you got to be strategic. You don't just go out here and just drive. You know, there's a certain mental capacity it takes to be able to do what they do with other people out here driving with yeah. them. For, for me, when we hit that um, first turn and I saw your hands, you know, because when we drive, it's like, we're here. <laughs> Relaxed. <laughs> right. You know, so you would think, okay, they're just going left and here. I saw your hands just on the t- going 180 miles per hour, 160 for me, 160 miles per hour probably, and, and, and just like feeling like any second, this driver, this car can go out of, can be out of control. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. That's when it hit, that's when it hit for me. We'll go to some, we'll go to Atlanta, for example, and that's typically early in the season. You're not in like racing shape or, or your mind, because you, you got to relax. You got to relax your hands. And when we go to Atlanta, we'll go out on the track and it's super fast and there's a lot of grip and it's really scary and nerve wracking. And the first 10 laps of practice, I'll grip the wheel so hard that your hands are cramping and hurting up, hurting up real bad. And you have to remind yourself to relax because you can just expend so much energy unnecessarily in a short period of time. And you have to race for four hours, right? right. And you have to hold the wheel just really carefully and, and not, not right. grab it as hard as you can. And uh, so after, after like a few weeks, you sort of, your body gets used to it and your mind, you get used to the heat. Uh, the heat's the worst thing. You know, Bubba talked about it with you guys, 150 degrees in some of the most worst case scenarios. It's really about an average of 120, 125 degrees. And we sweat a lot and and just lose a lot of water weight. You don't have to physically be strong because the car's got power steering, but your back has to be strong. You're using back muscles to hold yourself up in the seat and doing things like that that have to kind of be be tough and, and, and deal with all that. But it's all about 
nutrition, hydration. A lot of guys will run, ride bikes and stuff like that to get themselves sort of in that endurance mode because it is an endurance deal. But physical strength, I've never lifted. I never was regular in the gym. Right. I was. I would either run or bike and just have try to put myself in conditions where heat was a problem to try to get used to that. What, what made you the best? A lot of things, I think, play into a guy being great. There's a thing that you're born with. Mm. It's a it factor. Raw speed is what I like to call it. Raw you got speed. raw. When you I can you can see it in these young guys. You'll put them in anything with wheels, and they figure out how to make it go fast. And some guys learn that and uh, and acquire that ability over time. And then there's some guys that just have it. They just they just know it's a raw, like when we're driving around a track, you could feel I don't know if you could feel in the in the seat of your pants the grip of the car. How much we had, how much might have been left. Guys can sense that really fast. Some guys that have that gift, and they're they're the magical ones. They're the special ones that that you just know are going to be superstars. And there's only a couple that come along every sort of generation that become the superstar that have the whole the whole package, like the mental side off the track, keep themselves out of trouble, uh, stay focused uh, in in their personal life. Uh, the professional light, they can do it all, right? And they know how to market themselves, too, because this is such an important part of our sport. Everything we got has got patches and associated to some corporate entity. And so the marketing side of that, you have to embrace it. Um, a lot of guys, myself included, when I came into the sport, I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't care about that. I just want to race. I hate doing the sponsor appearances. I hate gripping and grinning and, right. and, and making people happy. I just want to race. But that's such an important part, even more so now. That, 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 that spark, when did it turn into a flame? Did, did, did seniors say, hey, oh, man. let's go? When I was 13 years old, my dad was really focused on his own career. He wasn't, like, going to go out in the yard and, and, and play with me on a go-kart. He wasn't going to do that kind of thing with me. He'd come home. He'd go, to work on the sh- at, he'd go to work at the shop in the morning, and he'd come home at 9 o'clock at night and sit on, sit on his recliner, pop that thing back and be asleep in 20 seconds. And so I didn't have a lot of time to, you know, pick his ear and say, hey, what do I need to do? What should I be helping? You know, how do, how do I get where I want to go? 13 years old, I remember sitting on the couch uh, and he's, he pops in that recliner nine o'clock at night. And I was like, dad, I'm 13 and I can't, I can't wait anymore. I don't, I'm, it's driving me crazy. I want to race so bad. I can't stand it. What, I don't know what to do. <laughs> And you don't seem to get it. Like, you don't seem to understand how bad I want to do this. And I was really, I might not have outwardly exuded that energy to him, right? He probably looked at me and went, I had no clue. Because I was, I just didn't outwardly, I was short and and just quiet and shy in the 80s. You know, the feeling or the idea was you had to have a driver's license to race anything. It's changed. Got kids doing it now. But Back when I was trying to get into it, I thought I was going to have to wait till I was 16. 16 right. I was freaking out because I couldn't <laughs> wait. I couldn't wait. And one day I came into uh, the shop and he threw a newspaper down on the table and there was a sports page from the Charlotte Observer that was talking about this new series. And you could basically take a car off the street and put a roll cage in it and race it. And he said, you should figure out how to do this. And so it took a couple hundred bucks. I had me a car. And we went, we and my brother went and started racing. And that's. So he said, you figure it out. 
If you want it, you figure yeah, it out. Yeah, he wasn't gonna sh- he wasn't gonna build the car. Only thing he did, literally the only thing he did with his hands was make sure it was safe. Right, I wasn't gonna get hurt. The roll cage was in it right. The belts were mounted right, and everything like that. But he was like, "Here's a series you and your brother can get in today." So I needed a roll cage. Uh, so I went to a race shop that had a car that was destroyed, but the roll cage in the center part, like where we sat, is good. So we cut that off. We cut the roof off of a 79 Monte Carlo, stuck the roll cage in it, weld the roof back on it, took the motor out. We rebuilt the motor. It wasn't, a, it was like a 283, little small motor. Wasn't going to do nothing, but we wanted to go out and learn. We didn't need the fastest car right away. We just needed to go out there and figure it out. And so we went out there, we blew that motor all to pieces in the first race, broke the cam in three places, and we had a blast. Me and my brother, my brother, I was 15 or 16. My brother was older than me and had kids, and he had his boys on the weekend, on every other weekend. So I had, I'd drive it when he had his boys, and when he didn't have his boys, he would drive it. So we alternated in the car, in and out, till we finally built the second one halfway through the year. But wow. I had a go-kart. I sold it for 500 bucks. Me and my brother Kerry went to a junkyard and pulled that 79 Monte Carlo out of there. We went to a gas station and got 100 bucks. We went to a Hardee's and got $500 and put them on the hood. We went to a junkyard. <laughs> I know a man at the junkyard. We was going to need parts. We was going to bend the front suspension and break things on the car. Wow. So I went to the junkyard and got put that guy's name on the back of the car wow. so I could go into his junkyard and get parts when I needed wow. them. So we really did, like, you built make it from this the, ourselves, we, right? But we say you built it from the mud. You yes. came from the mud. Yes. You got it out of But that's the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago yeah. on our show where you said, look, I'm not going to push my kids into anything. They're, they'll show you what they want, and then that's when, right? You said they'll just do it. Yeah, it's the passion. You know what you I told have you, to though? Force it. Sometimes when they already have that it factor, you don't have to push. And it's funny, the first thing he says yes. is that it factor. Right. Like sometimes your child already has it. You don't have to push. And Shan, to your case, those that do push and try to live through their kids because they weren't able to make it in whatever they, their up. dream or passion might have been, forcing their what? What are they, the parents that do that? Losers. <laughs> <laughs> if you try to live through your, your kids, you're a loser. I said the rest of my life. I got two little girls, and I don't know what they're going to want to do. I'm a new dad. I'm figuring this out every day. But I, I kind of feel like you said, Fred, where you let them show you what they want mm-hmm. to do, what their interest is. And because if my girls want to race, that's going to be hard. Just the girls, right? It's a hard it, – it's difficult. Right. Um, and so – but if they want to do it, I'm going to go – Go right. with them and Just try to make sure them. When they're. We say that too. You expose them to. Is it? Is it still difficult, even during these times now? Wouldn't it be even easier now for them? It's certainly gotten easier. Um, my, you know, my sister. I used my, when I started racing. My sister started racing. It was hard. She finally quit because of how difficult it was emotionally on her. And I mean, I've been at the track with her, practicing, and her just break down because she's getting pushed around or she just was having a hard time feeling accepted, feeling like she belonged there. And so, you know, since there's a lot of time that's passed, Danica's came through, changed a lot of people's perspective about it. She showed, she showed natural ability and, and showed that in the proper situation she could do well. And so I think, you know, my girl's got a long time for, for that opportunity ever would come, but I'm sure it'll be even, even easier then, but it still won't, 
be as easy as I'd like it to be. You speak of Danica. When she came in, um, a lot of stigma around still. You know, I didn't know your sister Kelly. Um, she actually was in the sport and, and, and race. Um, but because of that experience of what you saw your sister go through, was there ever, in, was there anything you did? It was like, I'm going to help Danica. Did you ever go out your way to say, you know what? I support you. I'm with you. Or was it always, I'm going to kick your ass because you're, no. you're a driver just like I am. So Danica raced for us. So she was our driver. Right. And I think that Danica would say that some of her best years in a stock car were in races she ran for us. She had really good performances. She had a great relationship with her crew chief, um, Tony Jr. He was my cousin. I feel like that we gave her a really great opportunity to succeed, and and I feel like she did. You know, she eventually graduated into the Cup Series, drove for somebody else, right. and so I think that she ran great in our cars, as good as every other guy in our cars was running. So was it you? Was it you or Kelly that stood on the table for Danica to join your team? I was about it because I was a big. I'd watched Danica race before she got to Indy, and so I wanted her to succeed. I wanted her to be a big deal. And time out. Go back. What's Indy? Like okay. we, we're, we're learning. I mean, Ocho. He seemed he seemed like an expert. So you got a lot of people watching. You <laughs> don't know. Teach us. Educate us. You know. So Danica's racing origins were in open wheel cars like the Indy 500. She was creating a buzz you know, before when she was working her way up through the ranks. And so I'm, I'm like, man, she's marketable. She's, she's good. She's fast. I hope, I hope this continues. She goes into the Indy series, the top open wheel series. She won a race in Japan. She, she ran really good at Indy 500 a couple times. And then she tried to come to NASCAR and then she, so she came to drive for my team. That's a hard change of from one to, it's like, it's like, I guess maybe going from football to try to become a great at baseball, right? Mm -hmm. It takes a whole whole different, you know, right. s skill level. And so she, a lot of guys, every, almost all of them that tried to transfer from Indy to NASCAR fail. And they all do. And, wow. and most of the guys that go from stock cars to the open wheel cars typically fail. That leading up to my next question, I'm, I'm glad you just said that. So just curious, hypothetically speaking, if you were to take Lewis Hamilton, and put him in the right situation, the right team. Do you still think the results would be the same in the the difference from F1 to NASCAR? If Lewis came to drive our car. Yeah, just in general. He's elite. Right. He's like that, he's that. 1%. One, yeah, he's that one of a kind guy. What, what, what makes a driver elite? He's magic, man, he's got a magic. Magic. So I would guess it's like, uh, you just see a gift. Like, you know, you know. You guys see it on the field when you watch a guy play, a running back. Like Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes. You talked about it today, playing chess. Five, you're looking five steps ahead. You know what's getting ready to happen before the next guy does. And you, you, you know how you got to apply yourself in the gym, doing, you're studying, mm -hmm. watching film. Drivers watch film. We never watch film. We yeah. watch film now. All yeah. of them watch, yeah. watch themselves, watch last year's race. All the drivers want to know the strategy and what might come and what might not come. And so he's the kind of guy that applies himself across the board. Plus, he has the factor, that raw speed. Um, so I think he would figure it out. What I saw when I came on your campus today, I mean, you have cars everywhere, just, you know, offices, all these people you know, a production company, 
and, and I learned you have 14 companies. And, um, you know, even w- when you look at the car, if I'm saying it's the racing company, you got four drivers running the Xfinity series. How do you keep all that together? And people. Like, you, you know, you got people here that you trust to help you move this around, right? And go places and, and it's going to be right. It's going to be done first class. Your editor guys are going to kick butt. You, you know, you, you, you put people in position like my sister. Now, I should give her a ton of credit because she deserves it. She's the brains. She is the one that understands the budget, like where we are financially as a race team. She helps me understand what are good opportunities for me in the business world. Um, and you put certain people in control of each, you know, entity and each objective, you know, and, and, and allow them to be creative and, and come up with amazing ideas and, and try to steer this project in the right direction. Right. And some of them fail. Some of them don't. Um, I used to say that when I was trying to get going in racing, when I was trying, when I just started racing, I used to say, I want to find my foreman grill. Mm-hmm. You know, George Foreman had the grill. And I'm like, everybody wants that Foreman grill. I want my Foreman grill. Right, right. And so I was going to go out there, and if it sounded like a good deal or a good partnership to be in, I was going to see if it stuck, no matter what the business was, if it made sense, if it was connected to my brand. And so we've, we've tried a lot of different things and had success in some areas and learned some hard mistakes and hard lessons in others. And you just keep, keep going back until you find something that works. And, so, and, and hopefully it's more than one thing, right? Hopefully it's multiple things. Right. And that's one of the things I've learned early on in my business career is people, process, and then the product. Does, does polling really matter depending on the car you have? The sitting on the pole? Bro, you speaking like you a driver. Like you still, no. I don't know what polling is. Can you? Placing, where you start. Does it really matter depending on the car you have? I don't, you know, I never put a lot of stock in where I qualified for a race. Every race uh, since COVID things have changed a little bit, but typically on a race weekend, there's some practice, then we're going to qualify. That's going to set the lineup where you're going to start and you're going to go out and run the race. I never really put a lot of stock in it because it's a 500 mile, typically a 500 mile race. A lot of time to figure out how to get yourself toward the front. If you qualified in the back, you just, I sometimes I even like qualifying back there because I, I love to move forward. Mm. I, I never really loved qualifying on the front, on the front row because you got all those, Guys behind you. behind you, the pressure, right? You can feel that energy. They're chasing you, man, and and, and you've got to keep them back. You start there, so you've wow. got to keep them there the whole time. you got to keep them behind you the whole time. When you start in the back, you, you get the you get to enjoy sort of working your way toward the front and, wow. and, and climbing a mountain, if you will, and, and I always enjoyed that. With you coming behind your father, being the Michael Jordan, whatever name you want to put out there, sports, we call them haters. Yeah. Anybody hate on you saying, oh, that's just Dale's boy. They oh, didn't yeah. really believe in you. Absolutely. I mean, all the way to the very end, even today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if any of you guys had a father that excelled at something. I mean, he won seven championships and he won, you know, 80, 80 races, 70 some races. When I started, I wanted to pay my power bill, my phone bill. I wanted to I wanted to do this for a living. Right? I didn't want to work. I didn't set these like I'm going to be a champion. I'm going to be I'm going to win 
50 races. I just wanted to make it. And I kept on thinking about like if I ran a race, I would go, all right, did I make it? Did that race prove that I belong here? When when will I feel comfortable like I'm going to be able to hold on to this position I have in the sport for as long as I want so I can make a living here? And that was really all I wanted to do. And my dad, he was this massive thing to a lot of people. And growing up, watching that, it was awesome, right? He was a, he, My dad was a superhero in my eyes. And I watched people adore him and 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 want to want to want to make contact with him and want to be around him and I thought man I, that's awesome I, it made me look at him like this incredible thing but then when I tried to compete I knew I wasn't going to do what he did I just knew I wasn't going to do it he was a once in a generational kind of guy and only Richard Petty had won 7 titles and he come along and did it. And since then, only one other guy's ever done that, Jimmy Johnson. I just knew I wasn't going to measure up as hard as I tried. And he was an intimidator. He was the man in black. He was, he was, he, he, he scared people. He, you know, people said, you don't want him on your bumper. You don't want to see him in your mirror. And he played up to that. That was his personality. So he was the villain in a he sense. He was. He was a, little, a little bit. Yeah. But can he I, had, Can I read something yeah. to you? Yeah. All right, um, since we're talking about Pops, Daytona, 2001. When I realized that Dad was gone, there was a noise coming out of me that I can't recreate. It was just like a blow of shock and sorrow and fear. I went back in the bus in my room, and I shut the door to my bedroom and just sat there. And I thought to myself, in that very moment, I was like, I'm going to have to do this by myself the rest of my life he was like having a dad like a cheat sheet having dad was like knowing all the answers to everything and i was like man i'm going to have to do this without him for the rest of my life yeah that's what it was like you would call him and be like i can't figure this out and he would just be like silly it's simple man fix this is how you do this this is how this is what you need to do this is how you he knew how to treat people he knew how to he just did everything right in my eyes and then and i thought we were going to do this together right and i was racing with for him i drove his car he owned my car i was racing for him and i was winning we were celebrating we'd become we got tight we weren't real tight for a long time and so when i lost him man it was like this, I thought I was on this path that was going to be just this linear, smooth ascension to something great. And I thought, now I'm not sure, you know, what I'm going to do. I could screw this up, right? I, 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 don't, I don't know that I have the wisdom and, and the ability to, to do what he did. So Daytona 2001, got Michael Waltrip and you battling out pops is behind you was he pushing you he was just sitting back there he was sitting just back kind there. of watching me and yeah. michael so you guys take it and it's the last lap yeah when did it really hit you so we were step back to before the race dad says to me and michael michael's my teammate i drive uh I drive dad's car and Michael's my teammate and those are dad's car. He just started this business. He just started this race team, right? And this is his baby. 
this is going to be, it's going to be his future. He's got a couple more years and he's going to retire. And he told us before the race, he said, if we all work together and help each other, one of us can win. And I'm young and I'm like, I don't know. That's a silly idea. I'm going to win. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be because of something I did. Right. Not nothing y'all did. And so, you know, we're, but we're running all day long and, and it's a, it's a 500 mile race at Daytona. It takes forever. It feels like it feels like it's six hours, but we're sitting there running and it comes down to the last lap. And I didn't have any, there was nothing I was going to be able to do in that last lap to pass Michael. He was just too fast, but I was, and I was pretty comfortable that I was going to run second. I didn't know where things were going to net out for dad. He had a lot of guys nipping at his heels and, and, and trying to get around him. And, uh, I just looked in the mirror and saw him crash and him in another car and, and, and we were driving away from that accident. Right. And it's, you know, in the mirror, just getting smaller. And I thought, I just had a sense that, that just, it what it usually when we crash, we just go get another car. We bring two to every race. So if we tear one up, we'll just pull out that other car. Let's just get that other car out and let's go. And if we crash in a race, we just get out and go home. But I just thought in my head for a second, I was like, this is weird. This don't feel right. And so we come around after the race is over, we got to drive back around the track one time to come down the pits. And I seen his car sitting there in the grass and all the ambulances and the trucks around it and the, the steam and the smoke and, and just the, the, the picture didn't look good. And so I was like, I'm going to get out of this car. When I get to pit road, I'm going to climb out and I'm going to the infield care center because that's where they're going to take him. If he's, you know, they're going to make him get in the ambulance and they're going to bring him to the infield care center and I'm going to go there and see him. And so the other guy in this crash was uh, Kenny Schrader. It's a good friend of our, good friend of us. So we, I know Kenny. And so I'm walking into the infield care center trying to find which room they got dad in, these tiny little rooms. And I walked by one and Kenny's sitting in that room. They're, look, they're checking him out. And he just looked at me and I just knew when he looked at me. I was like, because he looked in the car when they, when he got out, he went and looked in dad's car and he saw dad and he saw what dad was going through and, and things weren't good for my dad in that moment. And so when I locked eyes with Kenny, I was like, he knows what's up and so i think i i think i jumped in a car they said they taken him straight to the hospital and i jumped in a car and i went to the hospital and i got out of the i got out of the car and i walked into what you know the emergency entrance you know just a big but busy space and and i was just like trying to figure out where to go to get to him and i turned i mean the first room on the left is the emergency room and i turned in there and looked and they were there was 20, like a 20 people over the top of him working on him. And it was not, it was just, I just exploded. This noise just comes out of you. All this pain and just sadness, just, it just, and I re- turned and ran the other direction to the first person I recognized, which was a guy named J.R. Rhodes, who was a PR guy. And I just grabbed him and I just screamed or whatever, you know, that noise is. And I ain't never cried about my daddy since I just whatever come out of me in that moment you can't control it and me I went I went back to the track when we knew he was gone I went back to the track and I sat in my bus all the drivers said all the all the drivers travel to the track and stay in these buses in this bus lot together so it's like it's tight community 
And that's when I realized, I was like, my daddy ain't here. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Wow. I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Five months later, you were back in Daytona for the Pepsi, right? 400. And you, you won. Mm-hmm. Those emotions. And then three years after that, you won the big one, yeah. 500. Can you explain... Daytona, the, the whole the whole thing, like my dad won thirty six races at Daytona, and when he would, he was good. And he when he was there, <laughs> when he was there, that was his place. Everybody knew it, and and he just would make people look silly. And so, I wanted to add to, like I said before, I wasn't gonna be who he was. I didn't act like him. I didn't have that personality. I wasn't intimidating. Um, I had to I had to strategize. I had to be smooth, and mm-hmm. I had a different way of trying to succeed. I knew I wasn't going to measure him. I just wanted to add to that legacy. I knew I could do that. Right. So I go to Daytona, and I'm going to add to this win total. They're going to that's for the haters. Yeah. Instead of Dale Earnhardt has 36 wins, they're going to say the Earnhardts have 52 wins. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to keep on. I'm going to add. I ain't going to match him, but I'm going to add to it. Mm-hmm. And they're going to remember my part. Right. And what I'm going to do is going to make him proud. You know what I'm saying? So I would go there with, with like, I'm going to win one. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get it. I'm going to put another mark down this weekend. You know, and we do. I, he had the same sort of attitude about Talladega. They're very similar tracks. Daytona, Talladega, two, two and a half mile wide open drafting and all that. And me and him just could get it done at them two places. What At what point, you know what I like about this? Because... In all of our careers, there's a moment when you realize you finally arrived. Oh, I got it. Right. You right. know, Fred, I know you, Chan, yeah. I know you had that. I'm so once you made it, it might have been your, your second year, your third year. Your third year is really your cutthroat. Either you got it or you don't. At what point in your career? We know how, the, we know how it started. Yeah. We know how it ended. But at what moment, what when, in the middle of your career, were you like, 
I finally arrived. I think the Daytona 500 win in 2004, you, you that's our Super Bowl. Yeah. I know it doesn't make any sense why we would feel that way about it because it's the first race of the year, not the last race of the year. But there's just so much. It's a dog. Like, it's just. We start working on those cars months in advance. Every other race, it's weeks to get a car ready. To run here, they'll put weeks into that car. For Daytona, we put months into that one car. And we take we, we massage on it and, and, and just try to make it as good as we can. And you go there, you, you, you qualify, you, it, you just want to win. You're going, when you win, you're gonna, they're going to celebrate you. You're going to do a week and a half, two weeks of media. Everybody wants to win that race. And so... And dad tried to win it for 20 years and finally did right at the end of his career in 1998. Hmm. He'd come so close <laughs> so many times. It was, it was awful. But, uh, I won it in 04. It was my fifth full-time season. And I was so relieved that I didn't have to chase that for 20 years. Cause uh-huh. he, he was miserable trying to fix, figure that out. Cause he had a, he was leading in 1990, led every lap. Nobody could touch him and ran over a piece of metal in turn three on the last lap. Turn three over here, right? So the checker flag's right here. His dream. Checker flag. Wow. And he runs out of gas over there or, or run over something and flatten his tire and lost. Wow. And, I mean, he, he had come that close to winning that race multiple times like that and had something weird happen at the end. And finally he wins it, and it's like his greatest accomplishment. And so in his mind, he's like out on top of the car, like, finally. And so I wanted to win that race. And, and uh, when I won it in 04, I was like, they can't, I know it sounds so cliche, but they can't take that from you. Like you, nobody never, can say, never. they can say, man, you weren't good at this or you weren't great at this, but they can't say you went, you didn't win a Daytona 500. They can't right. say you couldn't. Not once. Right. Twice. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years later. They definitely can't say it. That's amazing. Wow. The, you spoke, speak about the Earnhardt legacy. Like, my wife, when I said I'm coming to ride with Daryl, he's like, I know that name. Like, <laughs> it's just that yeah. legacy. But racing took your father from you. Did, did, like, did that change in the way you felt about racing? Were you f- fearful to get in the car after? Like, wh- what did that do, you know, so, mentally to you? So, my, I talked about, you know, how dad loved Daytona, the, the track, you know, and, and racing there. When he died there, I thought, Man, I might hate this place. I might never want to come here again. I got to because if I want to race, I got the, it's on the schedule. No, no way around it. We came back for that July race that we won. There was a weekend off before the race. I got I filled my suburban up with some buddies and we drove down there, uh, way ahead of of the event, and we drove to the track from Charlotte, about an eight hour trip, and pull into the track and drove around it. And I drove over to turn three where dad's car came to rest after the crash and stopped and got out. And I stood there and I like had, I was, it, it was like a, a moment to see how I would react to being there and to make sure, okay, I didn't want to do this when it was time to practice. Right? Mm. I didn't want to show up and have to get in my car and have a reaction that wasn't favorable or something I couldn't help. I, I went with my friends. We got out. I just, we didn't talk. I just stood there. I made sure that. This is going to be good. I wasn't going to have no problem. My beef wasn't with Daytona. My problem wasn't with Daytona, right? Yeah. And in that moment, we sort of shook hands, and and then we came back 
that like a couple days later and mm. kicked ass, killed him. Yeah. See, but in a sense, that's why in my mind, by definition and by mindset and just that that mentality, like you said, that's your Super Bowl. Yeah. You know, and you went in there. We go in games before big games. We go in the stadium and we say, all right. Yeah, we look around. It's it's time to it's time to get it. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like yes. nothing's gonna stop me. Yeah, I've had those I've had those moments. Every every few times, every once in a while, you just and you don't need. I don't know when. I didn't know when they were gonna happen. Right, you just show up and and I don't. You heading there. You heading to the track. It, it don't feel different than any other weekend. But for some reason, you walk in. You're like. I feel good. It just happened. This is going to be a good one. Let me tell you what 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 did what it did for me. I would just start crying. Really? I, I don't know where the tears come from, but every time I cried before a game and I didn't do it on purpose, I had 150 or better. Mm-hmm. My coach said, "Fred, you gonna cry today?" <laughs> I don't know. It just happened. We didn't have so many conversations on this show about opening crying up. and opening up, and you ain't cried yet, and you <laughs> cried on the field. Look, you come- I never. I, I can't make it happen. Yeah, y'all cry because y'all just want a hug. Y'all want to have a hug fest. Dale, we we right here. Like you don't know. Dale, you like food? Yeah, I like like, food. So you know, you know, when we home, Chef Nancy take care of us, and then we also have, you know, um, our 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 substitute chef, Chef Lowe comes in. He takes care of all of our athletes. So we have some food. I feel like you guys took care of us there. So we got Chef Lowe coming in with some food. Oh, okay. You know Chef Lowe? I don't. I'm going to introduce you to Chef Lowe. This is Chef Lowe. What's up? So what's he, up? What's up, dude? How you? I'm good. I, I know y'all. I'll get y'all to y'all in a minute. What's up, boy? <laughs> what's up? <laughs> get a little shot. That boy's sweating. Are you sweating? <laughs> he is sweating. My dude's going to love this. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I put my foot in it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, it's, all, you know, it's all about the food and the science with right. me. That's what, I grew up in Bermuda. Okay. So we were big fans of you growing up. Yes, sir. Can we get a shot? Um, hold on. Here, I'll hold that. We in Dale Town. We're going to do it like, we had we a cookout. Ain't no right. fancy stuff. I yep. had them paper, yeah. Paper plates? Paper plates. Don't, now, you're the, sweating, bro. The knives, I, 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 why are you my, sweating? My mom going to be mad about this. I took these from the crib. Chef Flo, why are you sweating, oh, Chef? In every show you sweat, what's going on? Man, you know, it get hot in there. And, and, but really, if I should say it, it it's, it's always been hot where I was from. Uh-huh. So, um, when I put my heart into the food, the food give it to the to the heart, uh-huh. and the heart give it back. Okay. So we got a little steaks right here. My goodness! You see that right yes. there? Yes. <laughs> that right was there? very good. And not only did I flip it, I flipped it twice. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, don't sweat on the steaks. Like I said, hey chef, leave the steaks alone. Like I said, how many, I, how many times you flip it? I'm, I don't really know what to do with my hands. I saw Ricky Bobby do this. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> give him a plate or two and a napkin. I don't know if you've seen me. I'm going to have a new show. It's going to be Kicking It with Chef Lou. Yeah. You can find it on Netflix and Hulu. So. <laughs> you sweat. Thank, thank you, Chef. Right. Thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, tell them oh, about man. Chef Lou. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just to show you what it, what it was. That's lobster mac. Um, steak. I thought you was going to figure it out, but my fault. No, that's good. Uh, I, I got it figured it's out. Lobster mac, steak. The fork's a little dull, but you'll get through. <laughs> how how is it a racing? Like how many race how many race car drivers are really like set for life? Basically, oh. he's asking you how many of the guys got that 
you money. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good one at the end of the day. You know? You know, like Danny, he has a team. Danny with has Mike. it. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, Danny has that kind of money for sure. He's had that for a long time. Or he's already had that attitude before he got the money though. <laughs> but uh <laughs> to be honest, he would agree. Our sport exploded in the two thousands. And there was so much money. Souvenirs and drivers got paid souvenir, you know, for, for a hat getting sold, driver got a good percentage of that money. And that was the die casts, like the car the cars. Mm-hmm. That stuff was going flying off the shelves and i was right in the middle of that but it's it's not quite like that anymore the sales are good but the the drivers aren't thrilled about them it's hard for me to know what a driver's making today nascar has made changed the rules to where they don't tell anyone what a guy wins they used to talk you know they used to do like hey there's a million dollar race it's gonna pay two hundred thousand if you win it they would use that to to make it sound bigger right and get people excited well, they don't publish that information anymore. So a driver can either say, I want a base, uh, pay me X amount of dollars. Oh, wow. And no matter what I win or lose, I want to make this base. Mm. Or a driver can take a big percentage of the winnings and no base. Mm. And that's the gamble. I, so I... Hold on, I, stay right there. What type of driver are you? Hold on, yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? And let's go around and see what, what, what everybody would do. Go ahead. I tried both. I like the base. You like the base? Oh, you conservative? Man. No. So the base. Well, base was good. Gonna be there the first of every month. I like it. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take the base too. You gonna take the base? Because sponsorship, endorsements, I make up for the rest on the back end. Yeah, that's true too. I had I had good endorsements. Just thinking about it like that. It's, I I, already, I know all your endorsements. I'm not gonna go there, but you was, was lit. You was litty. He was making money. Oh, Dad was making money. He, he's being humble right now, but I don't wanna. Well, I, I went to his city today. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, so yeah, <laughs> that thing was an empire. Yeah, so I didn't get to do? see it. You live. taking the base? Base. What you doing, Freaky Fred? It all depends. <laughs> it all, it depends on what the base is. You can't just give me anything. Let me say, say you're a top six driver. Okay. You're going to get paid as much as you know those. You're in that top six, right? Got so it. you know, if I take the base, I'm getting paid as much as this guy. One of the best guys, right? That was where I was at. So it was easy for me to take the base. If I wasn't, a, if if you, if if the world didn't view me as a top guy, I would probably take the gamble of making my money on the purse because I'm going to go out there and I'm going to win. I'm going to win, win right. that money, right? right. I'm going to get it. I tried that and I've, I, I, you know, I came in low. I missed it. And I, you know, I've had it work for me. Taking the base. See, to so, me, it's a safe bet. Right. So that's like, that's almost equivalent to the franchise tag for us in, yeah. in, in, in the NFL. Right. You're going to get an average of, you know, the top guys at your position. Right. Right. So for me, I would have to say, well, the, for us, though, with the franchise tag, you don't have a say in it. They just slap it. You're good. You're going to get whatever. But is but it, it's, it's a lot. Of, of but guys. isn't it pretty? Top three in the, at it's that top, position. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. But... But after that, you like your leverage is out the door because it's one to one year. You don't have the opportunity years. to try to negotiate the well, deal even of, beyond. Now, that's pretty much the team that's going to come in and say, look, it, it benefits us more to pay you as a franchise, uh, uh, slap the franchise yeah. tag on you than to, than to extend you long term. 
But no, it's two ways, though. You know, some sometimes to buy the team more time to negotiate, yeah. they'll slap the franchise tag on you. Yeah. Sometimes, to me, all they're saying is, you know, we don't think you're worth the money that you demand or I want. I mean, because injuries, it's not, it's not guaranteed. Then you have the, the injury part of it. It's, it's football. It is yeah. what it is. And it's a young man's game. So if you go out there, you know, you, ha- you don't take it, you get injured, next man up. You know, but it all depends on if you said the top five or six, I'll probably take the base, see if I can find a way to work in some bonuses. Yes. Well, I wanted to, I say switching gears. That's my Fred. My switching Fred gears. That got that from Brandon. You didn't, you, you brought up your daughter. You have young daughters. You didn't get married to what, 40 something? Yeah, 43. Okay. We had a, you are a good man. Well, <laughs> well, we've had a discussion on the show about relationships and focus and all the different ways. Were you partying and enjoying yes. your life or were you? Wide open. He said wide open. <laughs> <laughs> On the back stretch? Like what type of what type of wide open? I Yeah, you gotta be you gotta clarify because his freaky friend. So our thing, what 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 was what our thing was was Who was our? My me and my friends, my group. <laughs> <laughs> Your amigos. Name them. Name the friends. Ah man, Josh. <laughs> the squad. Just say my squad. My posse. We we would call ourselves the Dirty Mo Posse. That's what the we who? were. We Dirty Mo Posse. <laughs> Dirty Mo. Yeah. So Mooresville is the town that we are all from, and that's what we called Mooresville in high school. Everybody in high school called it Dirty Mo. You know, that was the nickname for it. And that's what Dirty Mo Media, right? That we do our podcast right, with. Right, that's right. where all that came from. I even got a, uh, I even got branded with a DMP. No, you didn't. Long time ago. No, you didn't. I love it. No, I got to see this. No, we ain't going to see this. <laughs> that was like four in the morning, about 12 hours of Rebel and Vodkas. And wow. Just bad decisions. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, we would, we race. You come off of that. You come off of that adrenaline. You know, you get out of the car and you're not gonna calm down and and relax. You're gonna run. That adrenaline's gonna run all night. And so we'd go home and drink beer and listen to music and just stay up and and get out everything out of your system. And then I might go out Tuesday. I might go out Wednesday. And then I'd shut it off and I'd start. You sure about that? Oh, every time. I can. I I don't. I don't know how to prove it or convince you. Yes, but I was, I didn't like being foggy or hungover in a car. Right. Because right, right. I felt, I, I, I felt guilt with my team, my crew chief, because they can smell, they can sense, they know you, and they'll be able to tell, like, yeah, you're not, you're not here. A little banged up. So, so. Yeah. But I'd run as hard as I could run. So Tuesday, Wednesday, like. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, maybe Wednesday. So is Thursday practice? No, here's the backstory. He's not giving it to you straight. What? He's not. You're not giving it to him straight. Come on, now I did my little research. <laughs> First, Kelly, his Kelly is his sister. Significant played a significant role in your life because Pops was on the road. Okay, Pops on the road, and so can pretty much say she almost raised you. Sure, sure, yeah, right, sure, yeah. And she, she, she really like runs the damn. They have 14 companies, but we'll talk about that next. So anyways, he goes to Kelly and he says, I want to build a treehouse. <laughs> so he wanted to, he bought this property, wanted to build a treehouse so they can party. Well, and Kelly it. looks at his ass because, you know, she's the business, right? She, she's like, you guys are going to fall off the treehouse. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a good idea. He's like, okay. So then he built this city 
in this city, it, it's almost like, I mean, what would you call it, like a museum? It's, 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 it's amazing now, but it started because you wanted to party. Yeah, we wanted somewhere so my house didn't get tore up. <laughs> I like it. So I was, uh, I was more focused on partying at times. You know, my sponsor was Budweiser. <laughs> like my car was red with Budweiser on it. I was the Budweiser guy. So you lived the brand. So they and they were like, "Have fun, right? Do do that. We want you to drink our product. People know that you love it and enjoy it. And right. you know they they were involved in everything sports wise. They we go into boxing matches and and anything else you want to go to and and just living it. You know." From like 2001 to 2006, it was just fun. You see that? You see the difference? I told Justin. Yeah. Justin Haley. You see? We talked about his diet and nutrition, the discipline that he has. And I told him, you're a lie, but you're not living. You f***ing live. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's living. That's for sure. That's what I meant. Yeah. You f***ing live. I've got no regrets. We all play in the league. We're married guys now, but back in our younger days. Yeah. I'll say the league comes with perks. Are there NASCAR groupies? Like, how's the women like? The do they look NASCAR like the guys? the wife in Talladega Nights? Do they really look like her? It's different. It, it used to be that way. It looks different to me today than it did than it did years ago. From the sideline, yeah, everything looks different. Well, most of the drivers are in relationships or married, raising kids. Ten years ago. There's a lot of young single guys like myself, yeah. you know, and we we would run in, into each other at the bar and we were competitive there just like <laughs> we were on the track. And everybody had their little clicks that they ran in and everybody kind of, you know, used a little abrasive with each little click. And these guys, they, t- they talk bad about me or I heard this guy talk bad about you. And we were immature in the nightclub world just like we were on the racetrack. Like I said, man, our sport blew up in the 2000s, and it was popular. And in this area, Charlotte, and in and around here, where most, I mean, 95% of the drivers live here. Wow. You know, most of the race teams are here. All the industry is mainly here. All the, all the crew guys. If there's a little network of bars, nightclubs, that most people are going to go to, the patrons and the people that go to those places know they're going to see drivers there, right? And it just kind of becomes the same. You all like to party together, right? And you kind of, everybody's moving in the same circles a little bit. So we always ask, every time we sit with drivers and uh, we're around the sport, we always ask the drivers, like, who do you beef with? So who was your beef? Who was your robbery? Kyle. Me and Kyle. Rowdy? Yep. Give us some stories. So A friendly, friendly no. beef? Or? <laughs> oh, this was serious? Yes. Kyle raced for a, a Hendrick Motorsports, and I was leaving this, leaving the Bud team. I was going to leave that team, leave that car, and go drive for somebody else. And so I was a free agent, and I was moving around, talking to owners and seeing where the interest was for me. And his owner and I were talking. And Kyle and Rick Hendrick, the owner, weren't on a good—they weren't in a good place. And Kyle can explain that better than I can. So they made a decision to split. So I go into the team. And, mm-hmm. and I think to Kyle, it was me taking his car. And so Kyle was kind of pushed out into free agency, not really willingly. He ended up getting picked up by Joe Gibbs. They had an insane season. Everything worked out perfect for Kyle. Well, when he was having 
this great season, I was kind of right on his heels in my new deal that was his deal. And so it was, it immediately kind of pitted us against each other. And he would use every opportunity he could in the media to dig. And I think we went back and forth with that. He wrecked me at Richmond. I'm leading the race. Denny was leading and had a flat tire. So now I'm leading the race. There's four laps to go. Mm. Kyle is on my inside. I, I feel like I'm going to win. I'm in the outside line. That's where I wanted to be. And I think that's where I should, you know, that's where, that's what's going to win the race. And he's down here on the bottom and he got, he got loose or something and slid into me and spun me out. And I hit the wall. Fans, man, they went crazy. They, that, that's really what sent Kyle into villain town. Mm, that moment. Yeah, I think so. And so that and a lot of other things that he, he did, he didn't handle some of those situations. Like, like I say, like he would, like in that moment, Instead of getting out of the car and saying, yeah, I made a mistake or I made it, I did it on purpose, he would just split, like avoid the interview, blow people off, right? And, and fans were like, you can't, you get, can't blow people off. You can't blow off those interviews and you got, you, you're acting like a child, right? Mm. And uh, so, but he's matured and gotten way better since then. So the, we go back to Richmond the next time and I ran over him, wrecked him. You did it on purpose? Yeah. Did you do it on purpose? Oh yeah. <laughs> and so I had to. Yeah. Like even if I even if it wasn't That's in crazy. my Y'all mental, going 180 miles per hour. It was it's not like in my mental character to go out there and do that. But if I didn't do that, I hear I here I am, I'm right behind him getting ready to go in this corner, and everyone in the place knows that this is an opportunity for me to make that happen. And eighty five percent of them want me to do it. What if you, you can't, you, you got to do it. You got to do it. <laughs> and so I wished I'd erect him harder than I did. I hit him and I thought I hit him hard enough and he goes up there and back in the wall. It hurt his day, which was my intent. Right. And, but I, I want him to wreck hard. Isn't like that, I wrecked. That's, that's good for the sport though. That is. Right? You got to have the good versus evil. And so we, we continue to bash each other and dog each other in the media and just, Dirty look each other every time. Just hate, hate each other. Like I can't stand to be around the guy. Physically uncomfortable to be in the same room with him. And I started the podcast. So I invited him on my podcast, and we relived Say the all name that. Of your podcast, a little shameless plug, the Dale Junior Download. So I used to, I used to just go on there and just talk about the race weekend and what I thought about it. But then it kind of turned into this, this interview conversation like we're having. And I said, Kyle, it's time for you to come on the show. Let's wow. talk about this. Let's stop, stop this. It's, we're getting, you know, it's so far in the past. And we talked about it. And he said some things that blew me away. He came to the Empire? Yeah, he came to the room you were in today. Wow, I need to go back and watch that. We sat down and talked it out. And it was great. I was glad to like not have, cause I still was uncomfortable being around him. Didn't like it. Didn't want to be around him. I don't like to use the word hate because I didn't really hate him. I just didn't like him, man. (laughs) It happens. happens. I wanted to fix that. I can't live that way. I don't like living like that. And I'm glad we did. And we communicate. We text. We text. We we give each other advice. You you, you mentioned Joe Gibbs. I know you're a Washington football team fan yeah but gibbs redskins right 
Not, uh, watching the football team. Yeah. What's up with the team, man? My mom and dad split up in 78. I was four. She moved to Chesapeake, Norfolk area, and everything up there is, is Washington. Everything. And uh, I I lived in around Charlotte, and there was no team here. And so you were either a Washington fan or a Dallas fan or maybe an Atlanta Falcon fan. I would go to my mom's uh, twice a year, once at Christmas and once at um, – in the middle of summer and she always had like a jersey art monk jersey very you know all all the all the guys i was a big art monk fan him and daryl green and so i just thought arc was he was if you needed a first down that's where you were gonna go and he just he was just no controversy reliable Healthy mm. all the time. Just mm. I like this style. And Sound he like broke, an ex-receiver to me. He broke Steve Largest record, I think, for the most catch, catches in a season yep. to set that's since been broken, but that was a big deal. They traded him to the Jets. Anyhow. No, that, that that's fine because what I wanted to get at is we, we talk about football and nowadays all you hear is concussion, concussion, concussion. CTE. I know you're an advocate you know, around concussion oh, and yeah. you spoke about your career mm-hmm. and, and being able to walk away from the sport. Talk to us about that, you know. Well, um, I, yeah, well, I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a choice. Like my concussions put, put made, I had to, I had to face it. I couldn't drive a car, right? I was hurt so bad that I couldn't do my job. And so I had to fix it if I was going to, like, I know you guys have dealt with injuries of all types. And so when my concussions happened, I was worried about, like, is this my new normal? Mm-hmm. Right? All those symptoms that I was having, I can't live like this. Right? I don't want to, this ain't going to be every day. What was the symptoms? Um, balance issues. Just turn a corner, you know, get up to get up and walk that way would just, you know, you just get nauseous and uh, bad vision problems. Um, blurry vision and my eyes would, were, would, I would try to like look at a target, target something with my eyes and they would, they would jump off that target. I couldn't control them. Were you afraid? Heck yeah. In, in the NFL, they tell us that we might eventually uh, uh, succumb to CTE. Right. So a, a lot of us yeah. that have had uh, concussions. I, I'm, I am very much worried about what you know 20 years from now looks like for me you know we uh, we hear the stories about other people that have dealt with cte and right. and 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 have some bad things happen to them right and they find themselves in places where they can't they can't escape right and they can't fix it and so you know i'm i'm definitely nervous about oh, just how sharp will i be am i going to have like this mental decline that's going to be a little accelerated right um all of us are going to have a decline of some sort, but will mine be accelerated? I know that my eye, my eyesight used to be perfect, and I know that it's it's gone down and it's going down. And my doctor's like, you know, it's probably something that got that got kick started sooner than normal because of your injuries, and it's probably something that's accelerated because of your injuries. And I'm thinking, well, I hope that's hope that's all that I got to worry about is is my eyesight going bad and getting a new prescription every no, ten we're, months. We're all with you. We, we go through it, yeah. One of the things you said offline, though, was I was miserable driving. Yeah. So, so meaning, like, you're happy now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so, right, that, we, so that's a good thing. 
I wanted to say, I wanted to add to that, uh, what Fred asked me, um, and we talked about it today. I know that if I, I know that if I want to have that long-term sharpness and, and, and the best, uh, possible outcome, it's in my hands. There's things I can do, right? And that's ride my bike. That's, that's, that's my mental health, my physical health. All those things are going to make all that. If I, if I don't take care of that, I'm absolutely going to have problems. Right. And so I'm not going to be mentally sharp. You know, if I want to, you know, I still like to drink beer, hang out with my friends, and I want to go drink beer at a bar. Well, if I'm going to do those kind of things to my body, I got to do something on the other side, Correct. right, to take right. care of it and keep yep. myself going. And and I know that when I rehabbed, all my rehab for my concussions was all simple exercise, which I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't understand how that was going to really fix my problems because I'm thinking, well, if my wiring's messed up, how is messing with this weight ball going to help that? It does. It did. It fixed it. I know it did. I did it multiple times through multiple concussions and fixed it. Right. And I know when I don't do those things and move away from exercise, I decline in cognitive skill. I decline in mental toughness and yeah. sharpness. Yeah. And to stay elite or to stay where I was, I know what I need to do. That really rolls into mental, you know, mental toughness, meant like just mental issues. Right. Um, for me. When my anxiety is at its highest, it's because I've taken multiple weeks of just not doing what I've yes. been doing the past 20 years. So you have to stay on it. I think Ocho says no coddling. You know, you can't coddle these people. You can't coddle yourself. You got to really get out there and, and be proactive. Try and make yourself better. It's a challenge in the fight, but it starts with you wanting to do better and want to be better. You know, and if you pay attention to yourself and your body, you know, you listen to that, you're going to tell yourself, man, get your ass off the couch. Go do something. You'll feel a little better. And we all go through that. But it, it comes back to your mental capacity. I never knew how much uh, exercise, simple exercise, mattered to your mental health and happiness until like the last two or three years of my career. I was telling Brandon today, I, my, a buddy of mine got me into cycling. And I rode my first year 2,400 miles on the highway so time. and dude i was as good as i'd ever been you know sharp happy feeling good happy you know, just could do anything right and now that i don't ride that much i can i know i know where i need i know what i need to do to get get that fixed you know you got a peloton at the crib no i ride on the street oh uh, i mean just to my wife wake has up a, and jump so on my it. wife has a peloton and that thing Peloton? you got you country don't don't let your he country come remember Peloton, that episode yeah. where I was <laughs> that was you got a, the thing <laughs> listen the, you have to crank the tension on it I don't I, I ain't gonna do what it it's a beast no what I'm trying to say is with that when you get on the bike and you gotta go up that hill there ain't one way there's right. one way up it and that's pedaling that's hard it. that Peloton right. you can cheat you got Peloton it's Peloton Dale <laughs> I like Peloton. <laughs> but you don't look like the cheating type, so it's I, all good. I don't you, trust you, myself. Right. <laughs> Who do you think should sit in this seat next? Um, and I stole this from All the Smoke. You got Jack and, and you got Matt Barnes. Do a phenomenal job. They have a, a podcast. It's crushing it right now. And they asked me that question when I was able to go on their show. So, you know, I'm stealing that from those guys. Yeah, Jimmy Johnson. 
Jimmy he, Johnson? Yeah. So Jimmy Johnson, he's just retired from stock car racing, and he's he's a rookie at 45 years old trying to go into IndyCar. I talked about that transition from, from one tri- one type of racing to another and how hard it is. He won seven championships in our sport. Him, my dad, and Richard Petty, the only two people, three people that have ever done that. Jimmy won five of those in a row. No one's ever going to touch that. Five championships in a row. The record was three that stood since the mid-70s. He's an athlete in every sense of the word, uh, so he belongs on this show. And, you know, he's just, I, I just think the world of him. So, you know, he's, he, he would be able to, he would be able to speak on a lot of things. I think, you know, the mind, the body, and, and being an athlete, a father, being successful, being a businessman, and also trying to transition into something that's completely foreign to himself at 45 years old. He's basically trying to recreate himself as a race car driver and try something that he's completely out to lunch in, right? right? He's going he's gonna to be floundering for a while until he figures it out. So. It's hard to put it down. We're in, we're in Charlotte. Yeah. This is where you like the party. I've never partied, but we're in Charlotte. So we could take it off our bucket list. Tonight, we f- party with Dale. <laughs> Can we go to the city? No. I'm, yeah. Tony, Everybody let's f- turn up. Hey, y'all, I'm going out. Going Where are we going? We're, part, we're partying with Dale we're gonna tonight. Go to the, we're going to go to the city. We're going to go to the Empire. We're going to the Empire with Dale. Y'all manscaping? Huh? Hey, Dale, do you manscape? No. <laughs> no. The three-way manscape. The party style. Alicia, can we get Dale a manscape? Please? You got to clean up down there because you're a little rough up here. I'm 46. Bro, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Hygiene. No, itches. No. The beard is cool. <laughs> I shaved my chest one time. Never again. No. Never again. <laughs> ain't shaving nothing else. <laughs> well, I love your beard. Yes. Keep that going. My wife But shave like, your balls. No. <laughs> no, never. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.